you have a Bible, and I hope you do, please turn with me to Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7, where we'll continue this fruitful study of this inspired book. So I'll begin reading where Francie left off there with verse 11. May the Lord bless the reading and receiving of his word this morning. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, peace. And now I make a decree that anyone of the people of Israel... Whether priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. For you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand, and also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel whose dwelling is in Jerusalem." with all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia, and with the freewill offerings of the people and the priests, vowed willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem. With this money, then, you shall, with all diligence, buy bulls, rams, and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem." Whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, you may do according to the will of your God. The vessels that have been given you for the service of the house of your God, you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem. Whatever else is required for the house of your God, which is it falls for you to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. And I, Artaxerxes, the king, make a decree to all the treasures in the province beyond the river, Whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, of the God of heaven requires of you, let it be done with all diligence. Up to 100 talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil, and salt without prescribing how much. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. We also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on anyone of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or other servants of this house of God. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God. And those who do not know them, you shall teach Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors, before all the king's mighty officers, 
I took courage, for the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. And what would you say characterizes men and women of God? Now, as I ask that, I'm not talking about moralism, like what good things they may be doing or people who maybe think that if they behave just so, if they're good enough, then maybe God will accept me. I'm not talking about that. And we wouldn't say those are men and women of God anyway. But rather flowing from their love for Christ and their life in Christ, what is it that characterizes men and women of God? A man of God and a woman of God. Well, we would certainly say mindful Christ alone is their hope. We would say their character, even certain aspects of their character, that as believers in Christ, they exhibit certain qualities. A good tree bears good fruit, and so they exhibit sincere humility. You think back of all the men or women of God that you have known. I mean, is pride a definite mark of them? Not the ones I've known. And certainly a love for God. An intense, true, sincere love for God. That He is their portion and their prize in this life and the next. And definitely a heart to serve. When you look out, you'll find these people right there. Serving. Without even asking. They just want to serve God. God's given me something to do. I'm going to do it. And I want to do it. And so they do it. And so those are some of the things that I think perhaps we may think of, characterize men and women of God. But along with those, I think we would find another common thread running through their life as well. And it's certainly this, a heart and a hunger for God's word. Amen. You know, over my years as a Christian, you know, I've met many precious saints whose heart for God's word has simply just been incredible to me. And ha- it has again and again and again just spurred me on, encouraged me, even as a pastor, to get deeper into the word of God. But they just, they just love God's word. And they're in it. No one's like pulling their arm and saying, well, you better get in the Bible today. They're like, yes, I'm in the word. And they're not bragging about it. They just want to. They love being in the word. And I still meet people like that today as well. And how encouraging it is. Well, as we have now moved... In the book of Ezra, from chapters 1 through 6 of this book, what have we seen? We've seen the people come out of exile, 
start the rebuilding of the temple that God had called them to rebuild. And then we had a kind of stumbling block right in the middle of everything, right? And sadly, we saw the rebuilding of the temple stop due to opposition. And then in chapters 5 through 6, we saw the resuming of the rebuilding of the temple and its being finished. And so now with this chapter, chapter 7, we come to a shift in focus where we encounter a man of God. A man of God. Now, that's not to say there aren't others in these verses that would be men of God or even things in the background going on in the background and historically of these events. There are women of God as well. But here we meet a man of God. Now, before we kind of more formally are introduced to this man, we see there's a bit of a jump here in chapter 7. So all of this in chapter 7, it takes place many years later. So many years after where we left off in chapter 6. So if you remember, in chapter 6, we read of King Darius, right? And setting forth his decrees and his decree of authorizing the rebuilding of the temple. Now Darius, he reigned over Persia from 522 to 486 B.C., yet now we read in verse 1, Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, and so on. Right? So what? No more Darius. So following Darius and his death, Ahasuerus comes along, or Xerxes. Now, you have no idea who that is if you... Look back or remember the book of Esther or Esther. He was the king during that time period in Esther. Well, he came and he reigned over Persia. And so then at this point in Ezra, now Artaxerxes is king of Persia. And so it's the seventh year of his reign. And we see that in verse 7. And so all of this comes nearly 60 years later since what we read in chapter 6. Yet as we see all this, we're not to think, well, you know, maybe God's not at work or God hasn't been doing anything. But even so, as time and as the years have progressed, God is still at work And he is still bringing about his plans and his purposes in history. In our world. This world. We need to be reminded again and again that we are serving the real and living God. Who works and does all that he does in this world. Not fairy tale. You are serving. If you know Jesus Christ, you know the living God who will bring about all those plans and purposes in history. And so it is then that we finally meet the person after whom this book was named. We meet Ezra. (laughs) 
And it's rather ironic that even though this book bears his name, he's not actually introduced until chapter 7. <laughs> so we have not heard of him even once yet. And yet now here he is. And what an introduction we have here of this man, of who he was and what kind of man he was. So we're given his lineage there in verses 1-5, which makes clear that he was of a priestly lineage. But also we're told in verse 6 that he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses. And then in verse 11... A man learned in the matters of the commandments of the Lord. So in other words, he was of a priestly, a true priestly lineage. He was legit, as they say. You know, he's not this kind of, you know, false priest going around. He's not just saying he's something and he's not the real thing. He is of a true priestly lineage. And he is a scribe of the highest order, even a scholar of God's word. And so all of that is making clear for us and for them that he was qualified to teach Israel and to uphold God's commands and to return to Jerusalem to do all that we see in these verses and more, as we'll see in the coming chapters. Now by itself though, Knowing God's word, even as Ezra certainly does here or did here, it does not by itself mean that that person is a man or woman of God, having knowledge of God's word. It could all be moralism. There are many today who look at the Sermon on the Mount and they say, well, here we go. Here are good moral teachings for my life. Oh, Jesus, yeah, forget all about him and all these things. But it's just good to have this in my life. I need to live better because of these things. You can have a deep knowledge of God's word and not be a man or woman of God. Now, you need to hear that clearly this morning, especially in the church. You may know a lot about God's word and not be a man or woman of God. There are many scholars of the Bible who are anything but men and women of God. They are faithless. And by that, I mean they don't believe it. They are lost and they need God and yet they don't believe God. And they could read the Hebrew. They could translate it for you right now. They could tell you the history and the morphology of the words. And yet they have no idea what it really means. They don't know God at all. Yet that was not Ezra. As we see here, and even throughout the rest of this book, his hope and his trust 
was in the covenant-keeping God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. As in law or not, I trust him. My faith is in that God, Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D, in your Bible. And so amidst everything else sad about Ezra here, we see a defining characteristic of Ezra was that he was a man serious about God's word. A man serious about God's word. You know, when people think of the book of Ezra, they might not remember a lot of things about this book, like chapters 1 through 6 or Maybe anything that I've preached so far through the book of Ezra. When you think of Ezra, you're probably not thinking, oh yeah, that, you know. I'm thinking exactly of what he said and all those decrees and everything else. In chapter 4, that flash forward, that's what I think of. I think of the book of Ezra. And I, I don't think that's probably what any of us have thought of when we think of the book of Ezra, right? When people think of the book of Ezra, they remember and know something of Ezra... And more specifically, what do they know? Verse 10, right? For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Now before that, notice what it says at the end of verse 6. In verse 9 it says... For the good hand of his God was on him. So it says that, and then it gives us verse 10. Ezra loved God, and it was this that drove his being a man of God. His being serious about the word of God. And I don't know if you're like me, but... Just an incredible thought to ponder here that God knew Ezra and it says God's good hand was on him. I mean, just ponder that for a while. And so when it says Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, it's saying that he was putting his whole being into reading and taking in what God had spoken. He's taking it in heart, soul, mind, strength. He's not just thinking like externally, like the Pharisees would later do, emphasizing the external. But he's taking it all in, mind, heart, soul, strength. And as you hear that, you'd be right to think, because when it says that, In verse 10, for Ezra had set his heart to study. When it talks about heart in Hebrew, it's talking about the whole thing. The whole person. They're involved in this. Involved in taking in the word here of Ezra. This is what he's doing. This is what kind of man he was. And so as you hear that, you'd be right to think of someone else's words, right? You know, Jesus' words in Matthew. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 
Well, this is the kind of heart that we're to have also. That you are to have as well. This is not just a Ezra thing. This is if you know Jesus Christ kind of thing. Amen. It's not, well, you have to be a pastor to be like this. Oh, no. How many men and women of God have you known that were not pastors or missionaries or evangelists? I've known many. They just love God in Christ and they love his word. So we're not to treat the Bible like some dry, dull thing, some dry, dull textbook which we are in danger of doing. Sunday school, it's a good thing, but if it's only a head thing, it can be a bad thing. Where we just look at the Bible and say, well, there it is to be memorized, to be known, and to be studied. When that's not why God gave it, he gave it for us to be taken up with our whole beings. You know, this weekend, Isaiah and I, we went for kind of a mini retreat, father-son, kind of a discipleship time. But as we did that, we went to a number of restaurants and so on. We went to one restaurant that was particularly good. But let me just ask you, when we went to the restaurant... Do you think that we just went in there and like ordered everything and we just looked at it, looked at the food and analyzed it, right? Hey, Isaiah, what do you think of this biscuit? I mean, look at it. Would you look at it? <laughs> you know, like, what do you think? What, can you describe it for me? Let's talk about this biscuit for 20 minutes. Actually, let's have a whole study on the theology of a biscuit, Right? where we could, we could recite the recipe of all the various things that are put before us, and we could detail the way the food looks, and even the way the food smells. And we could even tell you who, the chef who made it, right? We could know a lot of stuff about the food. But what's the problem there? <laughs> right? Do you really know much about the food if you haven't eaten it? yourself right and of course we didn't just sit there and do all that we we most certainly ate it and we ate it vigorously (laughs) well Ezra was the whole thing he had set his whole being upon studying God's word doing it and then teaching it he knew it and he ate Not like, I'm just going to have this side of it, which I think so many times we can just say, well, this is what I want, which we just see how ridiculous it is. We look at it in other aspects of life, like going to a restaurant. Well, how do you think God sees it when it's just the knowledge of the thing? And there's no eating of it. What is this? This isn't why I gave my word to them. 
I gave it to them that it would go into them. It would be part of them and who they are. And so Ezra did that. He knew it and he internalized it. Yet as we see all of this, this is about more than just Ezra here. It's about you and it's about me, isn't it? And so along those lines, let me ask you, I'm going to actually ask you three questions. Are you digging into God's word? Are you digging into God's word? You know, in a number of ways, what we're seeing of Ezra here is the blessed man of Psalm chapter 1. So you may not know what Psalm 1 says, but Psalm 1, it says that. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Then all that he does, he prospers. Well, that is what you are to be. You're to take up God's word and know it, delighting in it, and seeing it as a treasure trove filled with gold, and you're reading it and studying it and laboring over it, and what are you finding as you do? You're bringing out these chestfuls of gold, one after another. You know, in 2023, like today, like right now, we have the Bible and resources for studying the Bible that past generations of believers would have absolutely loved to have had, like dreamed of having. I mean, where like they had to go and find every single instance of like love or faith or hope, and they would do that. Going from Genesis to Revelation physically, we just go to concordance or we go to our Bible software and type in love and boom, we have it all. Right at our fingertips, right? How quickly we have lost sight of how our Bibles, and you may not know this, maybe you do, but how our Bibles have blood on them. The only way that we have gotten to this point with our Bibles is because the many who have come before us who have even lost their lives were simply translating the Bible. Oh, that we would see we have such free and ready access to the Bible as we do now. We have gold at our fingertips right before you in your lap is gold. Better than anything the world can tell you right here for you and for me. 
hold on, let me get entertained for a while and look at Facebook and so on, right? I'm not saying we don't need to do that. But see what's before you, believers. There's gold at your fingertips. So are you digging into God's word? And second question, are you changed by God's word? Ezra wasn't just studying it. He was aiming to do it and to teach it. By the power of the Spirit of God, Scripture is to correct us, it is to change us, and it is to enrich us again and again and again. And so mediated through the Word of God, the Spirit corrects the corrosive effects of sin in your heart and in my heart and in your life and in my life again and again and again. When you go to the Word, what is happening even this Sunday morning is it is correcting, God is correcting by His Spirit false beliefs that you have, that you have gained and you have gleaned from this world. He's correcting those false beliefs. He's correcting those false philosophies. He's correcting those false views of yourself and of others. And so dig into it. Be changed by it. And ask, thirdly, are you bleeding God's word as well? You know, it's Colossians 3.16. It says, we're to let the word of Christ dwell richly in us. So richly that like a branch that is abiding in Christ and in his word. So think John 15, the vine and the branches. Such that when you are cut, you bleed scripture. Waves come. Opposition comes. Temptations come. And there is Jesus in the wilderness doing what? Bleeding Scripture. Or as Charles Spurgeon said of the Puritan John Bunyan, that your blood and my blood it is to be bibline. (laughs) That when we are cut, we bleed the word. So as a man of God, living by faith in God and aiming to live according to the word of God, we see Ezra then witnesses the hand of God. He witnesses the hand of God. Verses 11 through 26. So we've already seen something of this, right? We've seen the good hand of God was on him, but we also see it in the answer that he's given here from King Artaxerxes. So We've had several letters in Ezra, right? You know, chapter 1, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6. And so maybe you're at this point, you're like, enough of the letters already, you know? (laughs) I mean, you keep giving me these letters, well, here comes another one. So in the same vein, we find another letter. And this is a letter from King Artaxerxes to Ezra. Now, although we don't have it, in some way, whether by letter or otherwise, Ezra asked the king several questions. And this is the king's answer to Ezra, is the letter that we have here. And the fact that the king answers 
his questions tells us that Ezra very likely worked for or had been an official or emissary of the Persian court in some way. I mean, no one's just going to kind of get this kind of access to the king where they can just go and ask anything they want, you know? And so the king, he answers Ezra. And so a second group is authorized to return to Jerusalem led by Ezra, verses 13 through 14. And he does that not empty-handed either. We see temple worship is provided for and Ezra is authorized to appoint judges. And so the king provides for them for temple worship And for what remains of that that the king gives, Ezra can use at his discretion according to God's will. Verse 18. Also, we see Ezra is authorized to appoint judges who know God's word. And if they don't, he is to go and teach them. Verse 25. And then even more, he's authorized to punish those who don't obey God's word. Or even the king's word, verse 26. Now, this isn't mainly what I'm preaching on and what we need to see here right now, but just think about that in honoring governing authorities. That's a side note. So again and again, we see the outflow of God's hand upon Ezra here. Even in the king saying in verse 25, And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand. We are seeing here a direct connection between Ezra, his godliness, his wisdom, and his heart for God, and that connection to God's word. And just think about verse 25. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of God that is in your hand. Think about what that's saying about what you have in your hand right now. The wisdom of God for us. And so we see the hand of God upon me, even in verse 6, 8, verse 6 earlier. It says he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. So in this, we witness the result of a heart for God's word. We're witnessing the result of a heart for God's word. He, Psalm 1, again, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. Imagine what God might do through you if you were to take up God's word from the heart and do it. Asking you honestly that you would consider that question in your marriage, in this church, in your parenting, in your workplace. 
You don't give another excuse. You don't give another caveat. You just say, here is God's word. And I'm going to do it. Is that not what God is calling us to do? A simple saint saying, Lord, I love you. I want to know you. I'll take up your word. I'll know it and I'll eat it. I won't just know it, but I will eat it too. And I'll live by it, by your grace and power in Christ. Not out of pride or any desire for praise from men. Like I'm not thinking, well, I need to know the Bible so that you will think highly of me. None of that. That's not why this is. That's not why you're taking up and doing and taking up God's word and taking up with your whole being. It's not for pride's sake. It's not for the praises of men. But out of something very simple. Out of a simple love for God and Christ. That's why you do it. And that's why we do it. And that's why we're to do it. You and I are to come to God's word with two eyes. One for knowing it and one for doing it. And never separating the two. How might God use you if you took up God's word this way? So in view of all these things, the man of God witnessing the hand of God, we see the man of God is overwhelmed by the great kindness of God. The man of God is overwhelmed by the great kindness of God. So we see this in verses 27 through 28. And as we do, as you noticed, even as I read, the perspective changes, doesn't it? And it changes drastically here from a recording of all of these things to a first-person perspective that we are hearing and reading Ezra's first-person perspective of God's hand upon him. And this won't be the end of it. We're going to read it again as we continue on in the book of Ezra. We actually get to see through Ezra's eyes here. And what a beautiful, humble response it is, isn't it? He's simply in wonder, recognizing God is behind all of this. Right? He's like, what? Incredible. And so what do we see? We see the blessed man blesses God. The blessed man blesses God. And so it says in verse 27, he says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king. In verse 28, who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors. So in view of God, not himself, in view of God's kindness, in view of God's faithfulness and being as he said he is in his word, Ezra then takes courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me, he says. And he does it. And he gets together a second group for going to Jerusalem. Things like this in the word just make you just want to bow down and say, yes, bless you, Lord. I bless you along with Ezra as I see these things. 
And so we see the God-exalting wonder that arises from a life transformed by God's word. The God-exalting wonder that arises from a life transformed by God's word. We see this kind of wonder all over the place in Scripture from the saints. Those whose simple trust is in God. Or specifically in the one about whom all of Scripture points. Those who are simply trusting in God's promises, pointing forward to Christ. That's what we have in the Old Testament. They're all looking forward to God's fulfillment of the promises of God in Christ Jesus. Even as we now are looking back to all that Christ has done for us and looking to him as our only hope and trust in our life. And so we're not off course by saying, even here in Ezra, even throughout all of Ezra, even throughout the whole Old Testament, we're to see how all of this points us forward to Christ. Jesus is the definition of a man of God. He is the blessed man of Psalm chapter 1. How often the scriptures were on his lips, his whole life fulfilled God's word upon him. What do we find? God's hand was upon him. This is why as Jesus talks to his disciples on the road to Emmaus, in Luke it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Genesis to Malachi. All about me, Jesus says. Let me show you. Did you know that the Old Testament is about Christ? What we see plainly, it is. We come to the Old Testament in view of the New Testament in view of Christ, where all of this is pointing us. So see the man of God that we need. We need Christ. We need his life. We need his death. We need his resurrection. We need his salvation. Not by our works, not by us, but by him and through faith in him alone. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, you need Christ. I can say with confidence that if you don't know him, no matter what you believe, you may think you're a spiritual person, but let me tell you, you are not a man or woman of God but you need this man of God, Jesus Christ, to be your Savior, to atone for all your sin. And he will do it. And he has done it. And so as we read these words in Ezra, we are right to take up the words of Paul in Colossians this morning. 3.16 Let the word of Christ Dwell in you richly, saints. So may his word be in you today. Let the word of Christ abound in you also. 
may we all be able to say with the psalmist in Psalm 119, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And so by faith, be men and women of God in Christ, digging into God's word, being changed by God's word, bleeding God's word, seeing the fruit of following God's word, and then arising as we all will do for the ages in wonder at all that God has done. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we come and we bless you, Lord Jesus. You are the blessed man. We see how deeply we fell and we falter, but you never felled, you never faltered. The word dripped from your mouth and from your life. You lived it, fulfilled it, did it. And now, through you, our Lord, we have life. Or perhaps even this morning, someone here, we pray, may have life this morning by looking not to themselves any longer, but to look to you, Lord Jesus, and be saved. So help us, Lord, to take up your word with our whole being this morning and outside this morning. We're not Sunday Christians. May we not be Sunday Christians, but all of life. Our life is yours, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.